Here we go. On a Sunday morning, let me get my bandana off. Wow, it's been a while. And uh, hey, we're starting late this morning. Uh, Believe it or not, after a month and a half off the air, both myself and producer Chris Magnum Chapman forgot our key fob and could not get into the radio station and practicing quarantining and social distancing. There was nobody here. All three, what, four radio stations in this building and nobody here today but us, which is good. We are practicing social distancing. Well, enough of that. Uh, My name is Brian Feldman, and the show is out of line. We are normally here every Sunday morning, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM at 1340 AM, the flagship station of the Vegas Golden Knights, who, like everyone else, are in quarantine right now. But um, we're not. We're, we're back today. We got the NFL draft that just took place. The WNBA draft took place a week ago. And um, so pretty cool today. But I uh, want to, without further ado, let's talk about the broadcast team that's here again. I'm Brian Feldman, uh, co-host of the show, former quarterback at UNLV, the last guy to take him to a bowl game, and the co-host of UNLV football on our sister station, ESPN, the leader uh, that does uh, UNLV color commentary for the football team, Caleb Herring. Also here uh, behind the wheels of steel back there, the big board, and the guy that is also the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights radio network when the NHL is playing. Also a producer here at Lotus Broadcasting. Uh, Wouldn't know what to do without him. Chris Magnum Chapman and of course our intern, the guy that sets us up on social media, takes care of everything. Another guy we wouldn't know what to do without and that is uh, the Wiz! The Wiz! There it is. You you ruined it. I tried to steal your thunder. I was waiting for it and you ruined it. No, I tried to steal your Ah, thunder. But that is Spencer Ostrovsky. There you go. That's your thing. That's my thing. Let me do mine. Okay, you got your thing. (laughs) But uh, again, listen, if you want to chime in today, give us a call. The uh, Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. Yeah, and I'm going to steal the Wiz's thunder today. I meant to write something for you, Wiz, and I didn't, but What's on Tap is uh, brought to you by Residential Bank Corp, our title sponsor. Uh, whether you're purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Funding America one neighbor at hood at a time. That is Residential Bank Corp. On tap today, got a real special show for you. I have Satima Ghali, who is on the phone right now. He'll be on the show in about 30 seconds with us right now. Really, really cool. Satima is a Super Bowl champion, executive coach, best-selling author, and founder of Immersion, Manwealth, Shield Maiden, and Pro Rev Life. You want to know what all that's about? Definitely stick around. And the Super Bowl uh, that Sativa is a champion in, well, it happened to be Tom Brady's first ever Super Bowl, Super Bowl 35 versus the greatest show on turf. One of the biggest upsets, I think, at the time. Uh, Tom Brady, a young quarterback. But we'll talk all about that. And uh, Satima's, uh, who, who coaches attorney, surgeon, real estate investors, mortgage brokers, CEOs. This guy does it all. He'll be on with us in a minute. Also, right now, going on on ESPN, you'll see parts three and four tonight of The Last Dance. It is, I still call it the Michael Jordan story, but it's really about their last season, uh, their sixth NBA championship and the run they had to that. Bill Lambeer, the coach of the WNBA Las Vegas Aces, will be joining the show in a little bit as well. And uh, we'll talk to Bill about the WNBA. They'd be starting up in just a couple of weeks. A team that made the playoffs last year and really was one of the favorite teams to win the NBA championship this year. Uh, didn't have a pick in the first round, but Bill will talk about that. And I want Bill Bill story if he's, if he's even watching the last dance. Uh, we'll talk about that. And of course, the NFL draft uh, the last couple of days. Definitely got to talk about that. I know 
we're going to let the Wiz talk about. Uh, he has some definite opinions on the Raiders' picks. I've got opinions on all the teams' picks, including my Detroit Lions. We'll talk about that as well. Once again, this is out of line, and that is what's on tap. So right now, without further ado, let's get to our, our guest on the show. Joining us again, Satima Magali, again, executive coach, best-selling author, founder of Immersion Man Wealth, uh, Shield Maiden, and Pro Rev Life. Satima, what's going on, my friend? My brother, it's good to be with you guys. I appreciate the time. Life is, regardless of the quarantine, life is amazing, man. We're, we're really having a great quarantine, a great pandemic. My family's doing well, business is cranking, and I'm happy to be here. Oh, that you know, all good to hear, and and that's what I've heard nothing but positive things about this guy. Uh, hooked him up, got hooked up through a very good friend of mine, Sean Vincent, who of course is a big uh, talks about how immersion and man wealth has changed his life. He's a big part of that now, and Sean also an amazing human being. Sean was on the show if you remember a couple months ago. He is working on donating his kidney to former NFL star Albert Hainsworth. Really, really cool. Both Herbert Albert on the show. Sean's an incredible guy. So Satima and. Steve, I want to tell you, I talked also to a friend of mine out here that I, I'll bet you know who this person is, Michelle Kubiak. She's a realtor. And, oh, I love uh, Michelle, yeah. And here's she's what she in our She's in our tribe, man. She's amazing. I just want to tell you she, what, what she had to say about you and what you have to offer. And Michelle, uh, she told me that she did the Shield Maiden and then advanced to the Circle of Champions. And Michelle said um, it coaches in four areas of, li- of her life, spiritual, financial, relationships, and physical, which actually helped her emotionally. And Michelle said, Satima is amazing and his program helped her gain confidence in a way she never knew she could uh explain that how does what is michelle talking about you know well uh, it goes back to about 12 years ago when i hit the bottom and that the 2008 crisis i hit the bottom like the bottom bottom evicted from our homes cars repossessed i sold my super bowl ring like we were so financially broke and in turmoil and that was 12 years ago. And I remember being in this tiny 900-square-foot home, and I remember thinking to myself back then, I'm going to help people so they never have to go through this. So I, you know, I, I climbed out of it. I rebuilt. I re-engineered my life. And today, like, we run this event called Immersion. So people come, like, where, where they're kind of on this, this weird spot in life. Some call it a midlife crisis, but some people just want to go to the next level. And we take them through this four-day immersion experience. It's hard. It's like a mix of, uh, of, of SEAL training, military training, uh, sports training, but physical, spiritual, financial. And we challenge these human beings to, to get them to do more than they ever thought was possible. I mean, that's what it's about, is getting people to wake up and to see themselves completely different with zero limits. And then they go on to, again, run, whether it's run marathons or do 100-mile runs, build multi, multiple seven or eight-figure businesses, get their marriages right. And, dude, that's what my life's mission, my life's work, is about transformation and getting people to the next level. Mission, unleash human potential to maximize performance is uh, Satima's mission. And Satima, what I've understood, and you know, I've talked to two people about what you do, obviously Sean Vincent and Michelle Kubiak, but both of them, what it reminded me of is, you know, in college I joined a fraternity, and back when I joined, it was back, I think there were still two, two or three dinosaurs running around. <laughs> but hazing was still a pretty big thing back then. All I know is when I got through it, yes, it was a pain in the backside, but when I got done pledging and, and, and you officially, and I got can't go through all the stuff we went through, but you become, and they tell you, you're a brother. You're officially in the fraternity. It is one of the greatest feelings I still remember ever having in my life because of what I put up with to get to that point. 
when I talk to Sean and Michelle about immersion, both of them say the same thing. It sounded like that feeling when you complete it, when you know it is at the end, you've concluded what you're required to do. The feeling inside of them just was unbelievable what they told me. Exactly right, because we, the experience is the sacred, very high demanding. I mean, look, you got grown human beings, grown men and women who are emotional. They're in tears because when you do something that you, you're, they're like, you're like, there's no way I could do this. And you get pushed beyond, like, not just like an inch beyond what you think is possible, but so far beyond what you think is possible physically. That translates to, like, well, look, I could do way more financially. I can do way more in my relationships. I can do way more in my career or my job. And, and when a human being is, a, uh, is awakened to that possibility, like the, the, the pathway, the runway opens up, the skies are open, and there's no more limits. So that's why they felt the way they felt. And, and it, that it describes it, it, it perfectly. Two things. I know we're short on time today, and again, we started the broadcast really late. We were supposed to talk about the NFL draft for all you people out there. We will be doing that again. Bill Lambeer coming up after Satima. Satima, first of all, two things, and then and then I do want to ask you about uh, your brief football career. You did get to see Tom Brady at the very beginning of his career, and i got to ask you about that. But I want to know yeah. two things. How do you get involved with immersion and the cost? I know when you for people first see it, I did. It's a, initially a little bit of a shick, sticker shock, but once you talk to people that have gone through the program, it almost seems inexpensive. Talk about that. Yeah, so, look, it's an application process. You can go to titanimmersion.com. We, we rebranded Manuel to Titan. So titanimmersion.com or Shield Maiden Live, shieldmaidenlive.com. And look, the tuition, it's not cheap. It's, it's a $10,000 tuition. And, you know, some people, like, sticker shock is like, whoa. I tell people, look, what would it be worth to you if you could get every part of your life back and not have to go through what I went through? Or what would it be worth to you to, to get that marriage and to prevent a divorce and to get your company to go to the next level? Most people hit ceilings. Most people get stopped. Most people get complacent. And, you know, everyone who's ever come through there like that was the best money I've ever spent. In fact, we've had people that have borrowed Ended up there and said, I have to make this work because I borrowed, I, I bet the house to get here. And it's gone on to just change their entire relationships, their, their health and fitness, their spirituality and purpose. And of course, their top line, right? Their revenue, their bottom line, their, their career path, their, the business direction. It has been, so to me, it's like, dude, it's cheap. Like, and again, that, I say that in context, right? Because it's really for business owners and entrepreneurs who get, like, if I just got one or two more extra deals, would this be worth it? So that's what it is, TitanImmersion.com, ShieldMadeInLive.com. Go check those out. It, it is, I love this. Look, it's my life's work. It's my life's work. If you knew Michelle Kubiak like I do, like Satima does, like uh, Sean does, and I've only met her within the past uh, few several months. I've known Michelle now. But um, an incredibly positive person and she told me about the morphing of her personally she said Satima's program helped her gain confidence in a way she never knew she could and um, if you met her she is the epitome of positivity I'll leave it at that Satima we are just about out of time I gotta ask you real quick before you go brief NFL career played at Brigham Young and then went into the National Football League and uh, basically uh, free agent got yourself on the New England Patriots practice squad but you were a part of that team
team that won the very first Super Bowl against the greatest show on turf. What was that like? And did anyone know at that time, I know this question's been asked a million times, but did anyone have any idea at that time what Tom Brady had the potential of becoming? I don't think anyone really knew his potential. I just knew that he was the I got there early offseason. So I get there early. It's like 530 in the offseason. And I'm there at 530. I'm going to go get an early workout because I'm going to go to this amusement park with some friends later on. Brady's in there watching film in the offseason. And I get there at 530. I'm like, what? who is this guy? And we had the same agent. So I actually got to share conversations with him, have good conversations. And, uh, again, he, I will tell you what, the guy is all of that. And a bag of chips, man. He is the real deal. I saw him there early. I saw him late. A kind man. Uh, just he's generous. A real teammate, man. He is. He comes as advertised and more. Uh, not surprised at all. You gotta have an insatiable work ethic to play any sport professionally into your forties, and especially in the not for long league, the National Football League. It's amazing what he's done. Continues to do. Like him or hate him, you have to respect him, and looking forward to seeing what he does in Tampa Bay this year. Looking forward to meeting you in person, my friend, and who knows, maybe I'll get uh, the Stones to do the immersion, because um, from what I've heard and what I see in the people that I know that have done it, one of the most amazing experiences, if not the most amazing experience of their entire life. So, Timagali, thank you so much for joining the show today. We'll do this again. Take care, my brother. Absolutely. Listen, we're going to take a break. On the other side, we're going to have Bill Lambeer, uh, WNBA coach of the Las Vegas Aces, and we still have a lot to talk about with the NBA draft. How about the NFL draft coming up uh, shortly? We'll be right back. about 10 minutes in front of 9 o'clock, Fox Sports Radio 98.9 FM, 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. On the phone with us right now, former bad boy, longtime coach in the WNBA for New York, and now the last couple of years for the Las Vegas Aces, Bill Ambeer. What's up, my friend? How are you handling quarantine? Uh, yeah, it's like everybody else, you know, some days are boring and some days are boring <laughs> A lot of movies and Netflix? No, I'm not a movie person. So. I'm not either, man. A little, but bit of, a little bit of fishing shows and, you know, news. Yeah, and getting ready for a season that was supposed to be starting right now. How are you guys keep, keeping in touch, Bill? I, I've heard a lot of sports, a lot of the professional sports, are virtually having their same meetings, working out, and things along those lines. Are you doing that? Well, the basketball players are not allowed to go to gyms unless they have their own gym at home. Uh, so, you know, our trainer will, you know, spend some time, a virtual workout, so to speak, with computers and, and phones and things like that. But, you know, the league has a kibosh on any organized workouts and even a player going to a gym. What, what is the word that you're hearing as far as when this might change, when they might even open up for you guys to practice? Yeah, clear as mud. Um, don't really know. They're still working their way through many scenarios. Um, uh, the WNBA will take their lead from the men. The men are a lot more zeros and a lot more at stake. So whatever they decide, I assume we'll follow. Bill, you didn't have a pick in the first couple rounds of the WNBA draft because of the, the deal for Liz Campage last year. Uh, but you get Lauren Manis in the third round from Holy Cross, three-year starter. This, this, this woman really has it together basketball-wise. Pretty good pick for the third round. Were you guys happy with that selection? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's always a crapshoot in, in the later round like that. Um, but quite frankly, you know, there aren't a lot of roster spots on, in this league, let alone on our team. So third-round picks historically really don't have any chance to make a ball club. Even first-round picks, you know, which are gold in the men in our league, the you know, lower first-round picks get cut all the time. This team last year, uh, you know, I think, I won't say exceeded expectations, but met them as far as getting to the postseason and really putting on a good show. Uh, took the Mystics right to the wire, um, it seemed like, in, in just about every game, uh, except for maybe game two and three. But, Bill, building on last year and looking forward, you get pretty much everybody back. Um, I know you, one of your top players retired, but for the most part, you got everyone coming back. Looking forward to this year, if if there is a season this year, how good is this team's uh, ceiling? Well, I think we'll be right there as one of the favorites. Uh, you know, we have every position covered across the board. Uh, what really helped was that year of experience last year, especially getting into a, a playoff series where they learned, you know, what it takes. And we were the youngest team in the league last year, so we had to go through the growing the growing pains. And I think they all realized that they are a good basketball team and. If they do the little things in the regular season and band together, they have a chance to compete for the championship. You know, last year, uh, obviously, we lost uh, just a, a great human being, uh, one of the most outstanding athletes of all time in Kobe Bryant, and he was such a gigantic advocate and spokesman for the WNBA. Who are you looking to maybe fill that role? Uh, you know, you don't look for anybody. People will step up naturally. Um you know, it's the WNBA is a, is a very quick growing sport. Uh, everybody realizes now the women are, are, are solid basketball players and solid citizens. So we have a lot of momentum going into the season. Unfortunately, we're on a holding pattern right now. But you know, you can't force somebody to do anything. You have to believe in it, and that's what Kobe did. Uh, I think WNBA has proven to be a, an exceptional product, really popular here in Las Vegas. Bill, before I let you go, turning the tide to the NBA now. Obviously, uh, one of the big things with no sports is this documentary series that's been going on on ESPN. Being from Detroit, a gigantic Detroit Piston fan, I'm watching it because, you know, I hated the Bulls. I'm not going to lie. I say it all the time on the air. But to not respect them and their ability to play the game of basketball and their, their ability to be a team it would be ludicrous if you're a sports fan. You obviously uh, have been no, it's never been secretive of your feeling for that Chicago Bulls team in that era of your life. Are you watching the documentary? No. <laughs> I don't have any plans to either. Uh, I'm, getting hit by, I'm getting hit by a lot of national... Uh, radio and TV programs, ESPN being one of them, to go on the air and and talk about it. And I'm just telling them, hey, I don't, I don't even pay attention to it, and you know, and could care less. I, I get it that there's no programming out there, so it's going to get big ratings. But you know, it is whatever they say. They say I don't really care. But I'll go on their shows and just tell them, ask their questions, but I'm not watching it. <laughs> what about, like, tonight? I mean, Dennis Rodman is narrating uh, parts three and four. That still elicits no interest. No, I have no interest whatsoever. <laughs> you know, I, I lived it once. I'm not going to go back and rehash all this stuff. No, 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 I know, and you know, one of the, one of my favorite documentaries was the one they did on the Bad Boys. And if you could see us on Facebook Live right now, I'm wearing my old Bad Boy shirt. It's about falling apart because I've had it for so many years. Um, got to attend all those games, the Portland series, the LA series, and I want to ask you: in 1988, the 88 season, you guys, if if Isaiah doesn't hurt his ankle, do you guys win that series? I mean, obviously it's conjecture, but man, it sure felt like if he doesn't hurt his ankle, you guys win that series. Maybe you have three championships. 
well, he would have won the series if we didn't get a bad call at the end on, on, on Kareem uh, in game six. Yep. Uh, but Isaiah did a heroic effort playing on his bad foot in game six, and that was, that was our time to win that championship right there. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. And we got beat, you know, at the buzzer in, in game seven. But, you know, you can't bring back the past. You can move on. The most important thing is we had the mental discipline uh, to play through it for the next couple of years and win. If we had, that, that was our only chance, we never got back, then it would be a lot more disappointing than it is today. Okay. Two more things, and I'll let you go. One, um, In the documentary, The Pistons, it was, you know, no one ever really knew until that documentary, at least us, you know, as fans on the outside didn't know who had made the decision not to shake the Chicago Bulls' hands after they lost, you guys lost to them in the Eastern Conference Finals in four state. You came right out proudly and said, yeah, it was my idea. It seemed like maybe back then Isaiah was kind of getting blamed for that. Yeah, well, he was a leader, you know, and leadership always gets blamed a lot. Uh, but, you know, it was just a situation where, you know, I didn't want to shake their hands because, you know, all they did was they spent a year and a half just bad-mouthing us and calling us bad people, which historically has proven that the exact opposite was true. So, you know, they whined and cried and just said, what the hell am I shake their hands for? Let's just get out of here. Last question for you, and it's going to be about Dennis Rodman. Um, you know, I, we were talking about him in the parking lot before we came into the show today, us and the co-host and uh, producer and uh, our intern. And, um, you know, I was saying that, you know, I, I've never, you don't enjoy when you say, I enjoy watching somebody play defense. Defense wins championships, and the Pistons were a lockdown, shutdown defensive squad. But when I say I'm watching Dennis Rodman play basketball, especially in the early years, I loved watching him play defense. Uh, he, and that never stopped. That never changed the rest But, Bill, when did you see, was it when Chuck left that he really, that you noticed a huge change? And Dennis? Yeah, you know, Dennis, you know, was always a big kid and he never really had any responsibility. Uh, and, you know, and when Chuck left, it was a big blow to him. I'm not saying that's why he went off the deep end to a point, but, you know, he embarked upon a different path in his career to, to make sure everybody knew who he was. And, and sometimes it doesn't gel with a, a team environment. And it became clear that Dennis had to move on and he moved on and was very successful. But in our world of how we played basketball and discipline that we had, Internally, the path he was on wasn't going to fit. Well, he had he had a great career, but yeah, it, it definitely changed. It was nice in the early careers, and one of the most special moments of me being a Piston fan was when he won his first Defensive Player of the Year, and watching the emotions and how much it meant to him was really, really cool and something I'll never forget in my life. Like I'll never forget your back-to-back championships or the shirt I'm wearing. Bill, I want to thank you for joining the show and let you know I've forgiven you for the chicken wings you spit on me back in the locker room, but our but my intern here, for some reason, has a problem with Bill Lampier, and I don't know what it is. At the WNBA... That's uh, his problem. That, that's <laughs> <laughs> Bill, listen, really appreciate taking the time. Please be safe and well with your family. Look forward to seeing you back here in Vegas coaching the Aces real soon. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Absolutely. Bill Lambeer, coach of the WNBA Las Vegas Aces and one of the key integral parts of the former original bad boys back in the late 80s, early 90s. Really cool team to watch that team grow up more. Listen, we're going to take one more break. When we come back, we are going to talk all about the NFL draft. Give your opinions on uh, the Raiders. And if you want to call and join the show, the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio line, 702-876-1340. It is time for Blazing, brought to you by Buffalo Wild Wings, 215 in North Durango in the Montecito Crossing Plaza. They are still open right now. Carry out so uh, definitely check them out, man. Good place to go. Buffalo Wild Wings, America's favorite place for wings, beer, and sports. 
And when the world gets back to normal, hopefully by next season, we'll be there every Monday night for Monday Night Football. And, of course, traveling around to do the Vegas Golden Knights watch parties at Buffalo Wild Wings as well. Always appreciate them. And um, blazing, man, the NFL draft is blazing because it is the first live sporting event that we've had in a long time. I mean, they had the WNBA draft. It was cool. I actually kind of watched because there's just nothing else to watch. But the NFL draft this year, uh, the most watched NFL draft by a mile. Total viewership over 15.6 million it broke the previous record by a mile. Like I said, 12.4 million viewers back in 2014 was the previous high mark. And uh, no surprise there. Guys, we'll do the, the blazing before we get into the NFL draft conversation. Blazing about the draft, a player. Let's talk about a player that you think is blazing and could blaze his team with. And I'll start it off for you guys. I'll tell you right now, blazing. ESPN did a little bit of special on him, so they kind of ruined my thunder by talking about this guy. But... He is a wide receiver, played for the University of Liberty. Starting to ring any bells if you guys heard about this guy. His name's Antonio Gandy-Golden. 6'4", 223 pounds. I was watching highlight reels on him as I've been researching the draft over the last couple weeks to try to find a sleeper in the draft. And I found this guy. Wow, is all I can say. He is. Uh, the, the term was stolen years ago or used years ago in basketball for the Atlanta Hawks for Dominique Wilkins when they called him the human highlight reel. Uh, this guy, Antonio Gandy-Golden, is the human highlight reel. If you get a chance, Google him and watch some of the amazing one-handed catches he made. You'll see a ton of Odell Beckham-type catches. And the Washington Redskins got him in the fourth round. Just to solidify how much I hate the Washington Redskins even more. The Lions didn't have a pick in the fourth round, and I'm saying if they did, what a great compliment this would have been to Marvin Jones and to a Gall- a Galladay. I mean, this guy is the real deal. Just remember I said, he's blazing. Antonio Gandy-Golden, just so you know, three consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. I understand he played at Liberty. You don't have to tell me that. Um, this guy is so cerebral, it's not funny. On top of that, he had 150 catches in the last two seasons. Caleb, you know how tough that is to do in college yeah, in, in two seasons. Listen to this. The dude can do a Rubik's Cube, complete it in 44 seconds. He carries two of them around with him, and um, he's bowled a 300 game. Are you going to say that's easy to do? No, but it's it's completely irrelevant is what I will say about it. What, what Your is, mind works very. But the point is, you know, mentally, you know, there's a pattern to doing Rubik's cube. There right? is, and there once is. you've nailed the pattern, it's just about being able to do it fast, as quick as you can. Yeah, I understand. I, I, so I, I mean, that kind of. Can you do being a Rubik's cube? You get the pattern. I never interested me. I never okay. wanted to do a Rubik's cube. <laughs> I didn't. I don't like to do things. It doesn't that impress you that fruitful. somebody can do that. No, I, I, I try. Mean, I used to play around with that, that thing the all the time. Kids that do it blindfolded when they're twelve—that's impressive. But I mean, if you just can do it really fast, I'm not. I'm not going to at so, all put that into So when he comes the in the studio you'll say NFL. put your Rubik's cubes away. No, I don't I don't yeah, care. Of course. I want I want to talk about football. Like okay. how many how many times can you score a touchdown? But he also he also can you do that? He also can pretty much juggle anything. He does that well. He's bold. He's bold a 300 so game. Some of the most some of the best jugglers in the world are people you'll never hear about. I, I, I'm, so not I'm not disagreeing, but I'm the, saying a guy that's blazing. a guy There's that's thousands of people that can juggle. A guy that's almost 6'4" 225 pounds. Like I said, you're going to go. I know you're going to go and do your due diligence and I watch will. this guy on Google. Just because it, his name's great by itself. It's, it's a great name. It's a pretty cool name. Yeah. And But I'm telling you, you're going to be impressed. And this is a guy that I think we are going to see be a National Football League Pro Bowl player within a very short Whoa. period of time. I think he's that good. Whoa. I think he is that good. From the fourth round. From the fourth round. Yes. From the fourth you, round. You heard it here, folks. Okay. Brian Felbin with his What prediction. round did Tom Brady go in? 
he's a quarterback. It's okay. very different. No, That's once no, in no. a lifetime. That's, yeah. Hey, so how many other quarterbacks l- have done that? Let me let me ask you this. Do you know what round Drew Pearson was drafted in? I don't know where Drew Pearson is right now. Okay, I you don't, but you know who he is, right? The name sounds familiar. You don't know who he is? Dallas Cowboys, couple Super Bowls. Yeah, he was made, drafted made, at the very end, I think. No, he was never drafted. An unrestricted free agent. That's great. He, Neither was Kurt Warner. I mean, like, there's a there's but you a said no. Stories. Kurt Warner's a quarterback. I'm, you were, I was yeah, trying to give I, you a I, receiver I, that went later that became a, a Pro Bowl wide receiver that yeah. wasn't even drafted. Yeah, well, he played it for can the Cowboys. happen. I just, it, a lot of Pro Bowlers play for the Cowboys. Oh come on! You still have to be great to play in the Pro no, Bowl. No, no, you don't have to be great. The, the other guys just have to go play in the Super Bowl. That's what happens. Okay. When you're a Cowboy. All right. Your Drew Pearson was <laughs> Drew Pearson was a great wide. <laughs> receiver what that's, he that's but, but my point is my point again is is that this guy is the real deal go watch him just watch him play i will okay, i'm not gonna see, say i won't but i will see what he does. i just don't and think his rubik's cube ability has anything to do with him going to the pro Bowl. i think it makes it, i think it says he's cerebral but regardless <laughs> regardless okay antonio gandy golden is blazing, and you'll see it when he gets into the national. You know who's football blazing league. for me? I'm okay. just gonna jump right into mine. It has nothing to do with. Well, it does have something to do with the draft. But C.D. Lamb is blazing. Uh, he got drafted to the Cowboys at 17, which I think will be helpful for Dak Prescott and that offense. Um, hopefully, we'll say Amari Cooper resigned, and now you get to fill the Randall Cobb spot. You get C.D. Lamb, who's dynamic with the ball, but he's not blazing for that. He's blazing for the quickness in which he grabbed his cell phone from his girlfriend on the couch during the draft. His girlfriend <laughs> saw a, a text message or phone call coming through on his phone. And I'm so glad that we got to see this live. It makes for great TV. But she tried to take his second phone. He has two phones, obviously, because everybody has two phones. He's on the phone talking to somebody important on one phone. And his other phone buzzes and goes off. And his girlfriend reaches to grab it. He immediately snatched it back. Right back. And shook his head like, no. You don't do that. And his girlfriend just looks so embarrassed. I feel bad for her. Uh, she, she was pretty blazing, is, if I, don't rem- if I uh, remember yeah, correctly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, phone, I was though, looking at her and not him, so I saw phone, what you were though, talking about. The phone, though, is not for grabs. Like, you, there's no – you cannot look at that phone. And he made a power move on TV. I just got drafted, but still. You can't look at this phone, dear. I'm sorry. And it, it's it's terrible for all the wrong reasons, morality-wise. Like, you should be willing with your spouse to be able She's to just She's trying to help so you out. Open. You got yeah, a million things no, going on. She was snooping. She tried to take advantage of the moment and snoop. And I'm not going to disagree her. with that. I, I, I to tried. me, it was the moment, my highlight of the draft. I fell out laughing when I saw Did it. You? And I, they couldn't take it back. It was on live TV. I don't know if they realized what was happening. In retrospect, I now it's pretty funny. It. It's because I saw it, but I was watching her, and I thought it was simply like he was grabbing it because it was somebody else calling about congratulating him. But now that you say that, it makes perfect sense, and it's, it's, it's it pretty was, funny. It was great for it's, TV. It's pretty, it's it. pretty funny. So I think it's I think it's pretty cool and it's pretty great. So uh, once again, you are listening to Fox Sports Radio ninety eight 13:40 a.m. flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. I'm Brian Feldman. This is out of line. Caleb Herring's here. Chris Magnum Chapman's here, and so is Spencer the Wiz Astrowski here as well. And uh, we're talking NFL draft. Uh, Spencer, grab the microphone, man. You've you've studied this draft tremendously. I gotta let you give me a blazing before we give Magnum one. So, well, what's what's blazing to you about the NFL draft? Well, I would like to highlight one player, and is actually someone who the Raiders took in the fourth round. It was actually their last pick in the draft, Amik Robinson. I think he's better than our first. Uh, uh, round pick actually I just think he's a lot more sound fundamentally I think he's a lot more there mentally there were questions about our first round pick like wanting to play football period supposedly you know he had a kid and it changed his perspective in life and I suppose having a child would do that but anyways uh, this kid Amik Robinson we got in the fourth round you know I think he had 14 career interceptions in college 
played really hard, has a great hard-hitting safety, and someone who can help you on the run. I think he's going to start over him, uh, our first-round pick, come like day one, like week one of the NFL. It's a stretch, too. He played at Louisiana Tech, right? He did. Yeah, so it's not a real big program. No, no, it's not, but but he absolutely dominated where he was, and uh, I'm I'm really excited. That was my favorite pick of the draft. A cornerback out of Louisiana Tech, Amik Robertson. And uh, Mags, who do you got? Any Jets players blazing? Uh, well, Ashton Davis supposedly is a guy who a lot of people were excited about. He was a former walk-on at Cal, and uh, he was also the Pac-12 hurdles champion last year, I believe, in the sixty and the hundred ten hurdles. So he's obviously a pretty good athlete, but he's a former walk-on. He won the award for most outstanding walk-on player in the country, uh, which I didn't even know was a thing. They apparently give an award out every year to a player who was a walk-on at some point in his career. He uh, won that award. And uh, he he's a guy who he obviously has a lot of speed. He's a defensive back out of Cal. Not exactly a program where I look to for star players. But uh, nonetheless, I mean, I think the Jets did okay in the draft. I, don't, I wasn't crazy about the running back that they drafted in the... Uh, I think it was the, the the fourth round out of Florida. I felt like that was a bit of a reach. And then they took a project quarterback, which kind of burned me because, I mean, Jake Fromm is on the board. Jacob Eason, I guess, was still there as well. But uh, maybe he wasn't. I know Fromm was still there. But, uh, you know, uh, I think overall they did okay. I mean, they, they, they got their starting left tackle, which is obviously a need. They added a wide receiver. They traded down and still got the wide receiver that they wanted. So, Whenever you do that, that's good. But my blazing, actually, I'm going to go away from the NFL world, and I'm going to go to NASCAR, which is not something I'm a huge fan of. But I I came across it yesterday, and Richard Childress, who is a car owner in NASCAR, he is auctioning off a car, not just any car. It was a car driven by the late Dale Earnhardt. It's one of the cars that he raced Childress hasn't said which race it was in, but it's a pretty cool opportunity to win a car. What what's the rate for that's I, I have no idea, but he Childress is gonna donate all the money to uh COVID uh programs, uh I guess charity work and recovery programs wow, dude, and things like that. That's, but that's awesome. I that's mean, really could, cool, you, man. could you imagine Seriously, that's really like, cool. You know, Jay Leno is a big car collector, right? Like he has his show yeah, on, yeah. on television where it's about cars, classic cars, and so there are people who collect cars and of course if you watch television at all, sometimes late at night they have that Barrett uh what is it, Barrett Jackson auto auction. Yeah, yeah. It's kinda great actually. Yeah, it's it's actually kinda cool, but I mean, the opportunity to own a car that was driven by Dale Earnhardt, not Junior, the father, number three, the black car. It's like, so the thing is, like, we're not even, like, NASCAR fans, but I understand that that's big. That's huge. Yeah. You know, and I'm not even, imagine, like, the, the NASCAR world. How, the how crazy that is! Yeah. Like to, to have that opportunity. That's that's then, oh, it's, unbelievable. Donate, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And then I mean, to donate really the is. money. I mean, I'm guessing that car is probably going to bring in an, over a million dollars. Oh, yeah, for Chris. sure. It has for to. sure. I mean, Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, Sr., I should say. Dale Earnhardt Sr., without question, one of the most famous NASCAR drivers of all time. Well, he's probably and the most famous. He, he, he famous, could be. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he, he absolutely Like could I said, be. you don't have to be a Well, a Richard fan. Petty, it's hard. Richard Petty's right there. Yeah, but, 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 but I would Earnhardt, say Dale Earnhardt is... I think is, Earnhardt came along at a time when, yeah, when it was transitioning from, I agree. Yeah. I'm not, from I, I, a sport that was primarily in the South to a national... You know, I mean, I remember as a kid, every Sunday on ESPN... Yeah. 
NASCAR was on, and it was always Dale Earnhardt, and they and were Bill always, Elliott. It was him and Bill Elliott going <laughs> yeah, at it all the time. Bill Elliott, yeah. And I remember that love like it was yesterday. I loved those two, and it was it, it, no question, Chris. I wasn't in NASCAR. Until Dale Earnhardt. I, I know about Richard Petty. Everyone does. If you know about car racing, that name is synonymous with it. But but the bottom line is Dale Earnhardt Sr. was just the epitome of when you think of a NASCAR driver and the toughness and the grittiness of these guys, that that is Dale Earnhardt Sr. But back to football, one other thing before we get into the draft. One other guy blazing from the Mountain West, and I didn't want to leave him unmentioned. He was the 65th player taken in the draft by the Cincinnati Bengals. A guy that I watched, I've seen here play live at, the, at um, Sam Boyd Stadium, Logan Wilson. The captain, three years starting captain for Wyoming, uh, two, six two and a half, two forty three pound, runs really well and played inside for for uh, Wyoming. But I think this kid is going to transition. I was listening to them talk about him. They feel this kid has all kinds of potential and should be a starting linebacker for some years to come in the NFL. And it's pretty cool. I always pull for guys out of the Mountain West. I think it's way cool. Yeah. And this guy is the real deal. I remember watching him play and literally remembering him making a couple really strong tackles. You remember calling games with him? Yeah, playing? no, I do. I do remember him. I do remember him being versatile, I, I guess, from his spot. But, and it's, the thing about the Mountain West is it's, and especially later in the draft, because this is, that's the time where I think GMs and, and coaches have to really actually do their homework on guys. Like, the, the first 20 picks, like, anybody could say, like, yeah, that's a good pick, or that guy was good, and, and it's kind of up to the player then to perform. But, later in the draft, you start having to find guys that fit your mold or that have these intangibles or that have this skill set that you like. And those kind of picks, like you find those in Wisconsin or, in, excuse me, Wyoming, like those kind of picks from the Mountain West or from Louisiana Tech even, like we talk about, you find a guy that has a skill set that matches what you're looking for and you have to do your homework and make sure that you are making a good, deci good decision. So that's why I think you see some of the later round draft picks who maybe don't get the acclaim coming out of college turn into solid, maybe not... Hall of Fame caliber or pro ball caliber people, but guys that are just on rosters that you never heard about. Like maybe six years down the road, this guy's still in the league and he's he's playing well and you just hear his name a lot and people are like, where did he come from? Who is this guy? And you never would have known that he's from Wyoming, but he's just been stable, consistent, good at what he does. So I, I like looking at the later draft picks and following their careers. I think we're going to talk about it later, but even the undrafted picks or the guys that sign after somebody that I have to mention here because he's a UNLV Rebel, and he was signed to the Las Vegas team that will be, you know, he won't have to go far. It's been mentioned already. He's going to be able to stay here in Las Vegas, Javen White, who's one of these guys that he has a skill set. He's unique in what he does. He can play hard. He's aggressive. He can cover down the field on the defensive side, and we watched him. I watched him all, you know, during his career here at UNLV and how he grew and morphed into what the team needed him to be, and because of that, developed a skill set that's very unique and kind of a Swiss army knife and I, I see him as being one of those guys that maybe makes a roster and we look back and say that guy's story started you know late in the draft or undrafted so those kind of stories and I, I'm proud of Javen White and his work ethic and it, got, it paid off and it got him there now he has to fight to make the final 53 but good, great stories like that that happened late in the draft 
I, I think are more interesting and compelling to me than the guys who go 1 through 10 or 1 through 20, where it's kind of a given that they were going to get drafted anyway. Really good point when you talk about Javen White as well, because he's one of those guys, two things that you talk about that can get you into profession, a professional sport, the, the sport that you are playing. And I would say that is your motor and your heart, the two intangibles that can take a person that might not have all the skills and attributes. Like with Javen White, his biggest issue, he's got the height. It's his bulk. He is not going to be a linebacker in the, in the NFL. He'll be a special team player if he works his ass off. And he's got a chance to be a defensive back which is, I'm guessing, will they'll move him to, is yeah. maybe make him a strong safety or something. strong safety or maybe a, a package uh, nickel guy. Uh, he, nickel he, he can play nickelback kind of against that slot um, if he goes to a zone coverage type team. I think you can get away with having him there. But, yeah, I, I think he's, he's unique in that you, you really don't have a box to put him in. And that just expands your chances of, of making it somewhere, if that makes sense. He's not a specialist where it's one thing that he's good at and that's it. If he doesn't hit that, then it's over. I think you can plug him in in a lot of different places and f- see if he sticks there. And that helps his ability to get signed to a team and ability to get drafted. But in this case, he got signed after the draft. But that kind of thing is, is unique, like being that Swiss Army knife and then being willing. Like you said, this has to do with your heart and your effort. Being willing to say, I'm going to go play special teams. I know a lot of guys who in college refused to do special teams. And it was said then, and it's said now, and still true, your willingness to do things like that could get your foot in the door. Terrell Davis is the most famous example of that. Got into the NFL on special teams. His coming out party was his tackle on special teams. Kickoff coverage. He made a big hit for the Broncos, and that's how he made the roster. And he was a special teams guy. And, of course, the rest is history. Became a Hall of Fame running back, won Super Bowls. That kind of thing happens. But he got his foot in the door by his willingness to go down there and do those effort type things when, you know, he's just trying to struggle and make a roster. So that kind of story is, I think, where Javen White maybe finds his niche, where he's going to do whatever he has to do to get in the door. He's going to be head over heels excited about this chance, and he's going to work his butt off to make the most of it, and he might find himself on the roster. And I, I hope to see it. It'd be great for the community to have that kind of homegrown story, if you will, from a, a rebel to a raider. Ooh. Kind of well, one of the things I will say, and we did touch on it before <laughs> the show. From a rebel to a from raider. From a rebel to a raider. Write, write a book. <laughs> one of the things we did talk about before the show, prior to it, when we were talking about Javon White and uh, you know, wondering if it was kind of a uh, a token pick, so to speak, because he's a, a running rebel and how convenient to have him move over to Allegiant Stadium and try out for the Raiders and give him a free agent tryout. But the one thing I will say about Javon White, I've interviewed the guy probably three or four times over his career at UNLV. And defining Javen White, and it's probably an overused cliche, he's a football player. Yeah. And when you can say he's a football player and you have this motor and the skill set, and the one thing about Javen White, I several times, every game when we went to the games, Chris knows this, we always go down to the field for the second half of the game and we watch it from field level. I'm always standing next to the UNLV sideline. Javen White is a guy that never stops. No. He's always involved in the game, and when you pull him off, if he's hurt something, he wants back in badly. And when you see a guy like like that. And Javen White is not one of those guys that has a tag of, you know, he's always hurt, he's always injured. Javen White was always on the field. Yeah, and and he, that's going to bode well. And it was like that in level. practice, too. And that's a lot of guys, a lot of people can be gamers in the sense that the game means more to them. But it was like that for him in practice, too. And that tells me that the sport of football just means more. It's not about where he's doing it, you know, who's watching him do it. He just loves to play football. And that kind of drive is, I think, what keeps his motor running, where it's, I love doing this. And I'm going to do it until the wheels fall off and that type of thing. I do think 
there may be, and it's just, you know, a theoretical thing. It's not, there's nothing that I know, there's no behind scenes talk that I know about, but I think there is some sort of aesthetically pleasing aspect to the Javen White story and him being signed. And I'm happy as hell about it. And that's the thing. It's not, there's, Javen White deserves to play at the next, there's, there's, Hundreds upon hundreds of players. He deserves an players. opportunity. There's hundreds to play of yeah, yeah. There's hundreds and hundreds of players, and I I will mention Rayshad Jackson, who was his uh, a teammate of Jay White, who deserve a chance to to prove that they can play at the level of the NFL. There's hundreds of people across the nation that deserve it, as far as what the work that they put in, um, the their performance, their production on the field in college. Um, there's tons of people that should get the opportunity at least to prove themselves, but don't. They don't get that. If you are one of those people, whatever the reason is, whether it's a political move or, or whatever, a, a, a team organization move to try to win over the community, whatever you want to label it as, if that's your reason for getting an opportunity, so what? I got the opportunity. It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Millions of kids start their life, their career off, thinking that they're going to get this chance and don't get it. There's only 32 teams and 53 rosters each. And that's not everybody's dream isn't going to come true. If you got an opportunity to make it happen, who cares how you got the opportunity? Seize it. And that's, I think, where Javen White is. I, he'll probably hear some, some rumors swirling about it because it's the first thing I thought when I saw it. But who cares why you got the chance? Take advantage of it. Show them that you, you earned it. Put the work in like you've been doing and make the team. And who's going to deny that? Like, you made the team. You made the roster. Who cares about the aesthetics of how you got there? You're now an NFL player. And I hope for him that that's the case and that he makes it happen. And shame on anybody who who doesn't want him to have the opportunity because it's only this, you know, political No, the, bo- the bottom, bottom line, line is he's good enough. He deserves a chance. He got the opportunity for whatever reason. If he makes the team, trust me, John Gruden's not going to put him on the team because he was a UNLV rebel. <laughs> that I can assure you of. And uh, Mark Davis won't pull any strings for him either. He's going to have to earn it from this point forward, but I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'm really glad that he got the chance. Let's segue into S&B with C. It's all about the silver and black with Caleb Herring. We're already talking about one of their unrestricted free agents or free agents coming out of college in Javen White. What about their draft overall? You know, Henry Ruggs, we know he was the fastest guy at the Combine. Everyone, all they did was brag about his speed. The Raiders have a, call it an Achilles heel for people with speed. Speed is what they look for in, in, in everything. When but Henry draft. Ruggs, if you look at his ratio of catch per t- touchdown per catch, it's one of the best in the history of college I football. I think there's a, there's a phase where all he caught was touchdowns. I it's think when he first came in, like, there was nothing but touchdown passes to him, which is, I mean, I'm not going to say that it was a bad pick. I, there's no way you could fix your mouth to say that one of the top three receivers was a bad pick. Maybe it's a fit thing. Maybe what John Gruden wants to do with his number one he's receiver. He's 5'11". You got, I, a, you I, got Jerry Judy sitting there at 6'3". He's 5'11", but he's a deep threat, similar to Tyree Kill, who's a deep threat. He's small in stature, but he's going to get behind your defense and stretch They're the trying field. to compare him to Tyree Kill. I, do you, I, honestly? He's just as, I don't see him with the ball in his hands as, as dynamic as Tyree Kill, but as far as his Tyree speed, Kill is related to Houdini. As far as well, his, they're gonna they're gonna do some things with him yeah, that I think are unconventional. Exactly. Too, so. And I, so I think there's there's that aspect. It's a fit thing as well. But I, for my money, I would have taken Jared Judy, who is just the best Me too. receiver in the draft like, this year, and he the, is the best. I'd rather have a guy who can get open against man coverage in the NFL. We're talking about the NFL. I'd rather have a guy who can get open against man coverage and a guy who's faster than everybody. I, it's it's. And splitting hairs because Jerry Judy's not slow. It's not like he's a slow guy. Well, the other thing is, the other thing is, like I, I, I think we place so much emphasis on a guy's forty time. It's like, look, these cornerbacks, 
It's not like they're that much slower. And it's not like there's ever going to be a chance in, in the sport of football where you're just running a straight 40, yeah, un, unfeathered. Maybe in high school. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're never going to be running just a 40-yard sprint. How many times? At the end of a game when it's a Hail Mary is the only time yeah, you've but, ever but doing it. the ball yet. always falls short. There's always, always. seven other players yeah. around the you're ball. You're going to get touched. Somebody's going to yeah. knock you off your stride. Unless you're playing the Detroit Lions, it's not going to work. It's yeah. that simple. But going back to the draft, so for me, that first pick, I would have gone, if, if he was available, and I thought this going into the draft, if Jerry Judy's available at receiver, obviously the need is receiver. You want to get cars some weapons. You want to get that offensive production. So they did a good job of addressing that. I just would have preferred Jerry Judy. Then, of course, they go to the other side of the ball, and another shortfall of the defense was their secondary. Albeit Jonathan Abrams was injured from their last year's draft pick, and we never really got to see what he can do. So that's something that's going to be here this year too. But he got some help with an Ohio State cornerback, Arnett, who was the number two cornerback, so he got a lot of stuff thrown at him because he was... He almost came out last year and stayed in college and became a first-round yeah. pick, so, so that, it was so a that's good move. It, he, he won. I think Ohio State has been touted for the amount of people they put in the NFL. If you want to go to the NFL and Ohio State is recruiting you out of high school, go to Ohio State because they're putting people in the NFL. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So I think they did a good job of addressing needs early in the draft. And they with the receiver and with the cornerback, they got something in secondary. And then even later in the draft, with drafting a couple people from Clemson with the linebacker from Clemson. I, I mean, and the guard John the John Simpson, not John a bad, Simpson, pick. not a bad to pick get him either. in the fourth round. Absolutely, not a bad so pick. They did some great. I, I I grade them out as A minus B plus, and that's personal preference with the Jerry Judy thing. I personally. You don't pass on the best receiver in the draft. All right, and listen, we're, we're so running, we're running low on time. Spence, I want to give you a real quick. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. On the Raiders, you shook your head in agreement with Caleb Herring. I almost fell off my chair. Give me your assessment of the Raiders draft. Yeah, uh, well, I did a full assessment yesterday on the Facebook page. So if you guys uh, want to see, like, really in-depth, I did a full 30 minutes on every drift, every single draft pick. I thought Lynn Bowden was a huge mistake. Uh, the Kentucky running back receiver running, or uh, he did everything at Kentucky. Basically, yeah, scat guy. Uh, he's like Randall Cobb, but like a great value version of him. So take that for what you will. I don't think he's going to be on the team next year, personally. Uh, I was a huge fan of Edwards. We picked right after at mm-hmm. 81. Thought that was a great pick. And just quickly on Tanner Muse, that was the guy, that was the first guy who I wanted the Raiders to draft who they actually did when it was their time to pick. Uh, I Sounds bet- like A minus to me. I give the Raiders a B for the draft. All he is just harsh. I give him an A minus with harsh. you. Well, I, I didn't love. Is not good. I and... didn't love Damon Arnett only because I thought there were better defensive backs available. I think you're looking at Ohio State. You're looking at that they do put out a lot of professional defensive no, players, and and you're, you're looking at it. And I mean, Akuda was so much better. No, it, 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 it's night and day, and and yet he's still drafted in the first round. Arnett, we'll see about that real quickly uh, as we leave. Just want to mention the Detroit Lions. I am actually. Actually happy, and I'm giving them an A minus in their no, draft. I'm shocked. Swift. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. I like the kid a lot. Georgia has been good. They got Matthew Stafford from Georgia, Who so I like that. Who's the last kid running back to win a Super Bowl? Yeah, well, you're right. Would the Lions ever win one of those? Listen, we're out of time. I don't know if we'll be back again next week. Stay tuned. We'll let you know on Facebook. Uh, for myself, I want to thank our guest today. Definitely want to thank Satima. I want to thank Bill Lambeer. Thank my co-host Caleb Herring, Chris Magnum, Chapman producer, and of course uh, Spencer. Ostrowski, our intern, and myself, Brian Felman, we appreciate you. Please stay safe, stay inside, do your part, and hopefully we'll be through with this thing in the very near future. I love you, and I also want to say uh, I'm happy about my dad, man. I had coronavirus, and he's healthy. We're out. We'll see you soon. Out of line, Fox Sports Radio. Bye-bye.